continue and hopefully finish. I know some of you are praying that we finish. You may not want to talk about James chapter 1 anymore. I understand. James chapter 1. Anybody been going through any trials this week? Raise your hands if you've been going through a trial. Okay, I have a disclaimer. It is not my fault. You know, I've been accused of since I've been preaching on this. All of a sudden, these things have been happening. I think my wife is the one, honey, this is your fault. So I just, just want you to understand it's not my fault. Even if it is my fault, I'm just saying it's not my fault. Yes. <laughs> She's wrong. And I do want to change the name of the, of name this sermon, um, you know, the, one of the most awesome verses or passages in the Bible. I'm going to change it from that to an awesome opportunity. Because that's what we're presented with when we encounter various trials. We are presented with an awesome opportunity. Emphasis on the word awesome. Emphasis on the word opportunity. I'm going to read it in the the Amplified. It says, consider it, verse 2, consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith Bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects lacking in nothing. I like how it reads in the message. It says, consider it a sure gift. Check this out. Consider it a gift. So we've gone from pure joy to consider it a gift. Friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Your faith life is forced into the open, is put on display, and it's forced to show its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. There's a purpose for trials. We talk, we've talked about that before. If you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, you can go on the internet, ncfok.org, and, and you can download or, or listen. I don't know if you can download or not, but you can listen to or watch the last couple of sermons on, um, on video. Uh, this is the third part to this series. But we've been talking about going through trials because it's something we all go through, whether we want to or not, whether we pray for them or not, whether we pray for patience or not, because we've all heard the thing, don't pray for patience, because when you pray for patience, God sends trials, and, but we all know that we don't have to pray for patience. They're going to come anyway, right? I mean, so forget that. But they come, and they're not fun. They're inconvenient. They're hard. They're challenging. They're stressful. If we allow them to be. 
But the Bible says to consider it pure joy. Consider it a gift. And of course, that, that doesn't make any sense unless we begin to see things from God's perspective. And I talked about that. For this to make sense, you have to see things from a kingdom perspective, an eternal perspective. If we look at it from our perspective, it's going to seem unjust, unfair, not right at all. But if we see it from God's perspective or an eternal perspective, it changes everything. And we also, also have to see that there's a purpose. And that purpose is for our development, for us to become more mature. Because none of us want to stay in the infant stage in our Christian walk with God. You know, if you've been born again, if you've been a Christian for 10 years, you shouldn't be a baby anymore. But some of us, and, and I'm sure you know people like this, they've been saved maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and they still act the same. They're still the same as when they got saved in the beginning or before they were saved. There hasn't been a lot of change. Now, that may be mature in life as far as life experiences, but as far as maturity in the Lord, maturity in their walk, they're very immature. And that's most likely because they have not allowed themselves to grow up into Christ. And when we go through trials, it is not a guarantee that we're going to grow up. It is not a guarantee that we're going to get better. We have to make some choices. You've probably heard people say that trials will make you either better or bitter. But it will be one of them. Better or bitter. You go through a trial, you get bitter at people, you get bitter at God, you get bitter at life. And you say, forget all this, you chunk it and you go your separate way. There's a lot of people. And how many of you know people who have done that? They've gotten so discouraged, so upset, so distraught, they say, forget God. The very one they should be running to, they turn their backs on. And I want to let you know something. I want to declare to you that when trials come, the enemy will be right there to encourage you to turn away from him. He will be your number one cheering section. And turning away from God or getting bitter or placing blame, um, he'll be encouraging you with that. And you don't want to align yourselves with him. Amen? We want to align ourselves with God. But it gets hard. It gets very hard. And again, when, when you look at this verse and it says, consider it pure joy or consider it a gift when you go through various trials, it's not just talking about, you know, breaking, breaking a fingernail or having a bad hair day or or you, you get a B on your test instead of an A. You know, we're not talking about trivial type stuff. We're talking about what you're going through. And I like what a friend said the other day. You know, regardless of what you're going through, if it's a trial and you're going through it, it's not insignificant. It's not trivial. You may think, well, my, my trial is not a big deal. If you're going through it, it's a big deal. And you have an opportunity, you have an awesome opportunity laid at your feet. You know, even when we make a mistake or we sin, you know, too often we call, mistake, we call sin mistakes. It's sin. Now, there are mistakes. You accidentally do something, that's one thing. But when you blatantly walk into something that you know is wrong, that's sin. Okay, let's just be real about it. But even if, see, our God is so awesome that even when you sin and mess up, do something stupid, 
that you know dishonors God. When you repent, when you say, God, I am so sorry for doing what I just did or for for hurting that person or lying or stealing, whatever it is, God, I am so sorry. I turn away from that. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So he restores you, cleanses you. And so when you do that, then guess what? You are making that, mis- that mess up, that sin, that junk, that, you, that, that poop pile that you just made. You're giving God the opportunity to do something pretty significant in your life through that situation. And the reason why I'm saying that because some of you have made some, some blunders, some, some bad choices, sin, stupidity. And you're saying, yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in a trial right now, but I brought it upon myself. And because of you saying, well, I'm not going to ask God to help me because I did this myself. Don't go there. Don't go there. Because it'll only get worse. If you try to do it yourself, you try to fix it, it'll only get worse. Take it to the master. Take it to the one who can fix, heal, deliver, adjust, miraculous, and do all kinds of things. And see, the first thing the enemy will whisper in the ear, you, did, you brought this mess upon yourself. How do you expect God? Oh, now you're calling out to God. You haven't prayed all week or all month or all year, and now you're calling out to God to help you with this mess. Yeah, right. Don't buy into that lie. When he says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you. There are no conditions on that. There are no prerequisites. There are no, you have to have been in church for 10 years. Or have, have read your Bible for the last three months or whatever. There are no prerequisites. You go to him, immediately he comes to you. You confess, he immediately forgives. Immediate. You say, God, I got this big mess. You know what he's not going to say? Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. He's going to say, I know. I was hoping you'd come. Come sit on my lap, let's talk. You know, my prayer, our prayer, I'm going to interject this, is that the revelation of God's love for you just blows you away. The revelation of his love for you begins to consume you and overwhelm you. Because, see, we're so fixated on his judgment, his wrath, his punishment. Because we're focusing on our our mistakes, our sin, our past. And he tells us to get out of the past, to quit looking back. Your heart immediately goes to judgment. You mess up, you go to judgment. If God did that, then we would all be crispy critters instantly. We'd all be burning to hell right now. But the Bible says that God delights in showing mercy. Think of something you delight in. Something you love to do, a hobby or, or you just, man, I just love this. I just delight in this. God delights in showing mercy to you. 
So when you mess up, when you sin, I'm talking to blatant stupidity. And you come to God and say, I'm sorry. I repent, God. And he says, come, come sit on my lap. He's about to have a delightful time. He's about to pour out his mercy on you. Please get that. Please let that soak in. So what do we do when we find ourselves in a trial? What are the steps we do? Number one, said this last week, it's in here somewhere. Remember I talked about getting your soul under control? Remember that? Get your soul under control because as soon as you find yourself in a mess, as soon as you find yourself in a situation, the finances aren't there that you expected to be there or something just blows up in your face, what happens is your soul can begin to rage and get so loud. And if your soul is in that condition and you try to pray, and you say, I've, I've been praying, I've been trying to pray, but I can't hear God. I can't hear his wisdom. Or I can't hear. Well, because your soul is too loud. The volume's too loud. You know, on the way here, on the way here in, in our van, all of us were riding in the van, and I had this worship, this song that, that the worship team played, Spirit Breakout. Well, I had that song playing in the van, and I had it cranked a little bit. We were jamming out, and the van was kind of boom, boom, booming down the street and everything. And I was, trying to, I was talking to my wife, and I was telling her something. And she says, honey, I can't hear you. I just can't hear you. The music's too loud. So I could have yelled louder. That's what we try to do. We, we, God's not hearing us, so we try to yell louder. God doesn't have a hearing problem. He's not the one that's having a hard time with the volume. You're the one that's having a hard time. So what I did is I turned the music down temporarily. So I can say what I wanted to say, then crank it back up. So what you need to do is you need to get your soul under control. You need to get it quiet so you can hear him. How do we do that? Pray in the spirit. Pray in your heavenly language. Worship. Praise him. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. And see, too many people put the emphasis on edifies the church, and so they disqualify or diminish the gift of tongues. They say, see, prophecy is better because it edifies the church. Prophecy is better if you're dealing with the church. We're not talking about the church right now. We're talking about you. When you're going through a trial and you're by yourself, that's not time for you to be thinking about how you can edify the church. What good is that going to do you? You see what I'm saying? So the first part of the verse says that he who prays in a tongue edifies himself. See, God put that in there because he wants you to be edified. So he gave away a gift for you to be edified. That word edify means to be built up, to be made strong. How many of us need to be strong? How many of us need to be built up? When do you need to be built up? But I mean, when specifically would you need to be built up? I think I ought to have you guys all up here preaching. Jude verse, uh, Jude verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. 
praying in the Holy Spirit. I shared last week when I got hit with that situation, my soul got so overwhelmed, I allowed it to get blown up and everything. It took me over two hours to just praying in tongues just to get back to ground zero. But guess what? I got there. I got there. I didn't just stay in the pit. I built myself up. And then I was able to move forward. And then things changed. Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. So he's crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? Talking about the problems. But then he says, yet you are holy. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Praising, going to God. When you're in a trial, you notice David was very real at first. God, why have you left me? Why, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why, you know, and you, you, can, you can go to him. Let it all out. You see, when you go to him and let it out, like David did, you see what happened. Your pers- his perspective changed. Because see, he was so focused on his problem, his situation, it was so big and so magnified. But then he went to God. And when God began to be magnified, oh, let us magnify the Lord together. Let us exalt his name. When God began to be magnified, then his problem began to be diminished. The problem was still there, was still the same side, size, his perspective changed. And see, that's what needs to happen. Our perspective has to change. You've, I'm sure you've heard, heard it said, your perception is your reality. When you look at something, and that's the way you see it, whether it's true or not, whether you see it true or not, or in the real way or not, that's your reality. So that's the way you see it. So you're going to respond or react to your reality. When we think our problems and our trials are so big that God can't even handle them, then guess what? We're going to react that way. We're going to walk that way. We're going to do things that display that, that show that. And typically that's not going to be good, is it? But when all of a sudden we see how big God is, like, dude, you are awesome. Has anybody ever played that? Well, I don't know if it's a game or not. I mean, it's just a silly little thing. And I know, we, now whether you admit it or not, you've all done this. Okay? But you know when you can look at something in the distance, like, like a mountain or something, as far, and you can go like that, and you can fit that whole big thing inside that little, that little space. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. The rest of you, I'm going to be praying for you after the service. But you know what I mean? Like you do this or, or make a little... And there's something that's really bit like a mountain. I was doing this when we were driving somewhere. We were Albuquerque or New Mexico somewhere. Lisa was driving. I wasn't doing this while I was driving. It's okay. But Lisa was driving. And the mountains, the glorious, beautiful mountains were in the distance. And I was sitting there doing that. I don't know why we do that. If there's any counselors, please help me understand. Anyway. But I was sitting there doing that, you know, and that whole thing was fitting inside that little space. Now, can that mountain fit inside that space in reality? But from my perspective, it was. But see, as we got closer to that mountain, it's like, whoa, it doesn't fit anymore. It's too big. 
The mountain didn't change size, change sizes, did it? My perspective, my perception, as I got closer to the mountain, it became bigger. That's what God wants us to do with him. When the Bible says, exalt the Lord, let us magnify the Lord, there's nothing we can do to make God bigger. When we worship him, is God real little, and then we worship him, and, he, and we, we inflate him? No. There's nothing we do to make God bigger. But our perception, our perspective of God needs to be enlarged. So we need to draw closer to him. As we draw closer to him, then we're like, wow. He doesn't fit inside our little bitty, bitty box. He's big. He's magnificent. He's awesome. He's spectacular. He's amazing. And then our problem, we look at our problem, the same problem, but in a different context, a different perspective. It's like, wow. I was worried about that. Not that the problem is insignificant. Please, I'm not trying to diminish the significance of your trials. I'm trying to increase the significance of our almighty God. And how do we do that? One powerful way is praise and worship. We see that in the Psalms. We see that David, who was a mighty warrior, he worshiped God. He praised God. And on a side note, we have a bunch of CDs, worship CDs that I ordered. A bunch of them. And they're going to be, they're typically $10. You can't get them for $10 out there. You can get them here, not only for $10, but for $5 today. $5. The reason why is because I want you to get a hold of a tool that can help you just worship God. And they're awesome CDs. They're Jesus Culture. They're uh, Bethel. A lot of the songs that we sing here, you'll hear them on the CDs because our worship team made the songs and then we loaned them to Bethel. Oh, you don't believe me? <laughs> so, uh, so I want to encourage you today, before you leave, buy one of those CDs. Some of them are CD and DVD, which are really cool. What we like to do is put the DVD in the DVD player and just have it playing on your TV. Just have it playing. Whether you're watching it or not, just have it playing. Let the atmosphere in your home change. Let the atmosphere in your, in your vehicle as you're going to work change as you're worshiping God. So those CDs are available for sale for $5 today. Okay, so we have to get our soul quiet. Number two, let's move on. Call on the Holy Spirit for help. Talked about this last week. The Holy Spirit, who is 100% pure God. See, some denominations are afraid of the Holy Spirit. And they don't see him as God. You know, they kind of treat him like that weird uncle that you wish you didn't have. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you go to, the, to uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas, and there's that man over there, and you don't want to acknowledge him, you're afraid of him, because you don't know what he's going to say or do. So we just kind of act like he doesn't exist, because we don't know what he's going to do. Some people do that with Holy Spirit. He's there. I mean, it's not like the man is not there. He's real, but we just don't know if we can trust him or not, so we just don't acknowledge him. Unfortunately, a lot of people treat Holy Spirit that way. He is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 26, but the comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby, Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place to represent me and act on my behalf, 
He will teach you all things. He will cause you to recall. You will be reminded of, bring it to your remembrance, everything I have told you. Jesus said it is to your advantage. He was talking to his disciples. It's to your advantage that I go away because when I go away, I'll be able to send the helper. His name is Holy Spirit. He's the one that is sent to be with you to do what Jesus would do if he were standing next to you physically. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So you call upon him for help. Moving forward. Number three, if I'm in a trial, what do I do? Here's one thing you need to do. First, see if it was something I caused. Is the trial that I'm in something, a consequence of my sin? When I talked about the $3,700 that I blessed a man with, sent him a love offering, that that was a result of my sin. You say, well, what do you mean by your sin? I mean, I I didn't know it was a scam. But see, when you're about to do something, you're about to make a decision, the Holy Spirit will, t- if it's a wrong decision, he will say, don't do that. We may not hear him. We may not recognize, but he will give us warnings. He will, you know, he will not make us not do it, but he will warn us not to do it. He'll encourage us not to do it. But a lot of times our eyes get full of lust or, or whatever, and we don't see anything else. And all we want is that. You see, I allowed myself with that car situation. I mean, I was in a situation that somewhat desperate. It wasn't desperate, but I felt it was because my car got demolished. A lady ran into the car and totaled it and ended up, she didn't have insurance. So, boom, we were stuck. I needed a car and I found the perfect deal. The perfect deal on the internet. And so I was moving forward like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. And guess what? This is too good to be true. Guess what? It was. <laughs> it was too good to be true. When I was talking to my wife about it, and she's like, well, honey, you make sure you look into it. Make sure you research. Make, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What were you talking about earlier about my wife being wrong? She wasn't then. <laughs> Show wasn't wrong that time. And one thing I'm going to encourage you brothers, I'm talking to my brothers right now. Whenever you're about to make a decision, or I'm talking to the sisters too, I'm not going to disclude or exclude my sisters, because it, it goes both ways. Whenever we're about to make a decision, now if, it, if it's a decision, should I buy Hershey's or Nestle, go ahead, go for it. Buy them both, okay? Spend a buck and buy both. I'm not talking about a, a small, but I'm talking about a big, to us, $3,700 is significant. Or you know, you know what situations or decisions are significant. I don't need to explain it. But if you're about to make a decision, please, if you want God's will, if you want his way, confer with your spouse. And if you guys can move together in unity, go for it. If not, don't go for it. Even, brothers, if it seems like a business deal that can't go wrong, there is nothing like this, and, and you're the businessman, and you know all about business, and maybe you have a gifting in that area, and you're about to make this deal, and you tell your wife, hey, guess what? This, they're about to sell. I'm about to make, we're going to make all this money. And your wife says, well, honey, I don't have a piece about that. And then what is our tendency? Well, honey, you just don't understand. You don't understand business deals. You don't understand. I, I, I appreciate your input, but you just don't understand. And guess what's about to happen to you? 
I've heard many testimonies. Well, they weren't actually testimonies. <laughs> they were the test part of the testimony. Particular situation, a man had a perfect business deal that was awesome. All the experts said, go for it. His wife said, honey, I don't have peace about this. I don't think we should do this. He blew her off because she didn't know any better. So he made that million-dollar, multi-million-dollar investment or whatever, and guess what? Boom. Now, fortunately, mine wasn't quite a million dollars, which I'm very grateful for. And I guarantee I'm not going to be making any more $3,700 stupids anymore. I mean, if it's something I do, we're going to be doing it together, you know? I mean, it's not that we're going to be perfect together. And it's not that you two, you and your spouse are going to make the perfect decision. I'm not saying that. But typically, if you're about to make a decision and you want to honor God, he will warn you or, or he will confirm it or not confirm it and say, don't do it. And he tried to warn me, don't do it. I did it anyway. And then paying the consequences. So you need to find out, is it something that I did? If it is, you have two choices. You can beat yourself up, call yourself a bunch of names, and then say, well, I got myself in this mess, so I got to figure it out myself. Or you can say, God, I messed up. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? And ask your spouse for her forgiveness or his forgiveness. Say, you know what? I should have listened. I should have counseled. I should have listened to what you were trying to say. Would you forgive me? Because see what happened when that man made that choice. Guess who he drug into that situation with him? His spouse. Guess who I drug into the $3,700 or $3,700? Yeah, $3,700 exchange. Guess who came on that trip with me? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So it's important if we find ourselves in a situation, did I do this? Did I do anything to cause this? You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 27, it says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, in his, each, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. When you get angry, do not sin. It's not saying do not get angry and do not sin. It's saying when you get angry, do not sin. See, anger is a sign, a signal that something is wrong. So it's not the anger that's the problem. It's the sin that we typically fall into or jump into when we're angry. And that's what the Bible says, be be sinful and do not anger. No, rewind that. Be angry and do not sin. Now, later on it says put away all anger. In other words, anger is a symptom or a signal that something's wrong. If you deal with the something, anger will go away. But right here he's saying, okay, when you get angry, don't, get, don't sin. And so don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, signal angry, I'm angry for something. Don't let that anger stay burning in me and let it go on and on and on. Don't let it go down. Don't let the sun go down on you. Because if you do, then you give the enemy place. See, in our sin... We can give the enemy place. We can allow him to set up a stronghold. And it can be something that we've done a long time ago. But if we have not repented of that, let that get under the blood of Jesus. That thing, if we've allowed the enemy to have place there, then he can cause destruction. 
and harm and problems in our lives for years and years and years and years and years, even though I'm a Christian. I'm telling you. And so you need to pray. You know, especially if something keeps reoccurring, like is it a generational thing or something just keeps happening? Just keeps happening. It's like, man, every time we, we take one step forward, we're getting knocked back too. And you're praying and everything. It could, be, it could be a foothold, a stronghold that you've surrendered to the enemy, which gives him a legal right to cause problems. He's a legalist. As long as he has legal right, he's going to take advantage of it. And it's not until the true landlord comes and kicks him out, evicts him. And that happens when we repent. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Allow the Holy Spirit to, re- uh, to reveal to you what it is. Repent of it. And allow God and ask God to take that ground back. You know, it's talking about lay aside falsehood. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor. So make sure or see if it's something you've done. Because the $3,700, I did it. The thing about the trial situation or that whole situation with Tom Wright's ministry and everything, only thing I did was the right thing and I found myself in a trial. Situation, So there was no sin involved as far as my part, but in the other thing there was. And there's been plenty of times when I've done stupid things, sinned, and found myself as a result in the situation. Okay, the fourth thing, seek his wisdom. Seek his godly wisdom. You know, in James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And remember, the context is before those verses, it says, consider it pure joy when you go through various trials. Find yourself in a trial, verse 5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Who gives generously, the Bible says. So when you find yourself in a situation, ask God for wisdom. Sometimes he may give you the answer directly. He'll likely give it to you through his word. His word, so you need to know the word. He'll speak it to you in your spirit. You'll know the answer. But a lot of times he's going to speak it to you through another brother or sister. Because see, if God just told you everything and gave you all wisdom, everything you needed, then why would you need your brothers or sisters? But see, he purposefully withholds information, I believe, purposefully withholds his wisdom so that you will either go to your spouse, who you should go to first, or to a brother or sister say, hey, man, I need help. I'm, I'm not knowing what to do in this situation. The Bible says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Grace is the ability and desire to do God's will. Okay, so grace is a package. Well, let's say if you, if you guys are familiar with Popeye. Anybody remember Popeye? I like me some Popeye. Boy, I used to watch Popeye in a day. And that spinach, you remember he was getting, he was getting beat, whipped by a Bluto or Brutus, whichever era it was, two big bad dudes. He's getting beat by both of them. And then all of a sudden, when it's at the very end, what would happen? Somehow he would get a hold of a can of spinach, right? And when he pops that spinach in his mouth, it's like, "Uh uh-oh, Brutus, watch out. Your time is over. All of a sudden, Popeye's muscles get real big, and then he miraculously transforms and and puts a hurting on, on Brutus. Grace is just like that spinach. Without grace, without God's ability, we can't do anything. But when we need grace, we receive the spinach, we're able to do. 
and we have the desire to do. Now, God gives His grace generously to the humble. And if I'm all prideful and I don't want to share my mistake with anybody, I want to keep it to myself, then I've exalted myself. I put myself in a bad place, a place of pride. I'm probably not going to find a lot of grace in that situation. I need to humble myself so I can receive his grace. So I can, so that means going to somebody and getting some godly wisdom. You know, if it's an issue, deal with the issue. You know, a lot of times our, our trials are, they're either financial, physical, you know, physical pain or sickness or whatever, or relational. And I think relational is probably the biggest one. That's when you and a relationship between you and somebody else goes south. It gets crooked all of a sudden. Whether it's a, um, a um, relative or a brother and sister in Christ or a fellow co-worker or whatever, when that thing goes south, all of a sudden you find yourself in a trial that's pretty frustrating. And the typical reaction is to run away from it. The right response is to run into it and deal with it. Allow God to help you deal with it correctly. I mean, how many of you can think of a situation where you've had a situation with a friend or a person and you've put it off, you put it off, you didn't deal with it, you didn't try to get it worked out and it just got worse and worse and worse and it just blows up. They typically don't just stay, stay still. What number am I on? I'm on five or six. Okay. So I got it in letters, A, B, C, D, E, so I don't know what number. I don't know what number that translates to. Anyway, next, <laughs> hey, Omid, do you have that video? I'm going to show a video, and this is going to illustrate my next point. And watch the whole thing. Don't give up at the beginning of a video. But what it is, preface it, it's, um, yeah, water buffalo. And there's about to be an encounter between some water buffalo and some lions. And uh, check this out.
Here comes the church. Bam! The baby's up again. The baby's up. Yeah, trying to get away. Standing up. See, she got away. Oh, I'm sorry. It's too late, yeah. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah. You didn't notice the baby did get away at the end. She got away. And that big that big bull that was the big buffalo that was Cornell. <laughs> and the other one was Todd. The third one was Greg. <laughs> But the point I wanted to make is when we go through a trial, when we go through hard times, one of our temptations is to isolate ourselves. Have you noticed when they were going after, when they attacked the herd, what did they do? The baby kind of splintered off by itself, didn't it? And then they were able to attack the baby. The ones that were all together, they weren't, they weren't able to get them. The Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 5, it says that the enemy goes around like a roaring lying lion seeking whom he may devour. He is seeking. He is seeking, intentionally seeking. Just like those lions were hungry, they were going after some prey. When we go through a hardship, we, a lot of times, we isolate. We get by ourselves. We get into that situation where we're discouraged, we're feeling sorry for ourselves. We isolate, and then the, the enemy, the lion, comes to kill, steal and destroy. And you notice what happened when the church 
came back and surrounded, they, they were able to help free that, that little baby. You know, some people say, well, why is it important to go to church? Right there. We need each other. And it's not about, it's not about this. It's not about being in this sanctuary church I'm talking about. It's about being with your brothers and sisters. Now, of course, Sunday morning is important for various reasons. But one of the big problems, and I've seen people getting taken out because they'll isolate themselves. And we tend to want to do that. We get frustrated, discouraged, bitter, whatever. We isolate. We pull to ourselves. But if you do that, you're falling right into the enemy's trap. Falling right into his plan. Get you veered off, and then they're going to pounce on you and take you down. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. So when a person isolates themselves, they're seeking their own desire. And they rage against wise See, a lot of times we don't want to hear it. You know, we, we get frustrated, we're mad, we're angry. And someone comes along and says, hey, brother, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I know. Don't tell them to read my Bible. Don't, I don't want to hear it. Because all they desire is to hear their own. They want to go their own way. If you find yourself in that situation, you're in a very dangerous, dangerous spot. Very dangerous. First Peter 5, 5 through 10. Likewise, your younger people. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's interesting. It starts off saying, you younger people submit to the older people. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. We need to be submissive to one another. And be clothed with humility. And that does take humility. See, when a person isolates himself, they're in a fullness of pride. Because they're seeking their own way, their own desire. It takes humility to move towards somebody for help when you're going through a rough situation. But when you do that, you're going to find an abundance of grace from God. It says God resists, he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Vigilant, excuse me, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You are not the only one going through trials. You are not the only one going through trials. I want to I wanna help you to understand something. Especially, you know, when you come to church, like let's say you come to church here. And you walk in and, and you're feeling crummy. You're going through it. Your attitude, you're just struggling. But you come and you look at everybody else and everybody else looks all happy and content and everything. It's not true. We all struggle. We're all going through hardships. And the reason why I'm saying that is to let you know that you're not alone. You're not the only one. You know, when I've shared before, when I, when I had that bout with pornography and it was kicking my behind, I was struggling with it. 
the main lie that the enemy had me believing was I was the only one. Because here I am, I love God. I love God. I love God. But I'm struggling with this. How can I be struggling? It's like, man, what is wrong with me? And it wasn't until I surrounded myself with other brothers that I, that I respected, that were leaders. And I began to hear the same struggle that these men were challenged with. That was the main thing that began to set me free. The lie was exposed that I wasn't the only one. Now, if I would have stayed by myself, if I would have stayed isolated, then I probably could have got wiped out. But when I came to my brothers and said, man, I'm struggling, got accountability. And then I realized I'm not alone. Because these men that I looked up to, I knew they weren't freaks. I knew they weren't messed up. And so it gave me hope and encouragement. And that began the victory and the road to freedom for me. But if I would have isolated myself. So don't come to church thinking that you're the only one struggling. Because you're not. You are not. And letter F, because I lost track of what number it is. So letter F. says continue to do the right thing even when you don't know what else to do. When you're in a trial and you don't know what to do, you're praying and asking God to help and give you wisdom and you don't know what to do, whether it's, should I do A or B, and you're not sure, but you know you need to make a choice. If the answer is not revealed to you right away, just continue to do the right thing. What I mean by that is live in righteousness. Walk with God. Walk in ways, excuse me, that honor Him. And just continue to love Him. Cry out to Him. Worship Him. Because a lot of times what we do is is we get frustrated and we begin to make excuses for our sin. We get frustrated, angry, resentful, down and out, and then we think it's okay. God understands that I'm, I'm doing this sinful activity. He understands because I'm discouraged. And what will happen, if you fall into that, what will happen is you're going to spiral down and the situation is going to get a whole lot worse. Anybody ever experienced that before? You get yourself in a bad situation and you react or whatever, you isolate yourself and it just gets worse. So continue to do the righteous thing. And here's the last point I have. Doesn't mean I'm finished yet, but here's the last point. Determine in your heart that regardless of how it turns out, this is very important. Regardless of how the situation turns out, what I mean by that, let's say if it's unfulfilled or yet to be fulfilled promises. You know, God, I I thought you said you were going to do this. I thought, you know, there's some promises that you're holding on to that haven't happened yet. Something that's significant, because that's a big one to me. Regardless of how it turns out, you need to determine in your heart that you will not allow that or anything else to cool your affection towards Jesus. There's been times or... Even worse than that, to turn your heart against God. Because see, here's what can happen. You get frustrated, angry, bitter with God. Most of us aren't going to deliberately turn our backs on God on the outside. But on the inside, we've kind of cooled off. It's just like a marriage. Two people can be living, a husband and wife can live in the same house, sleep in the same bedroom. But that's just about it. 
their affections for each other has cooled way off. There's been, there's been a separation in their hearts because of bitterness, resentment, uh, hurts, pains, all that kind of stuff. So they're, and that you may even look at them, and on the outside, you see them as a happy couple. But in reality, they're distant. There are many Christians who do that. On the outside, they look like a good Christian. They raise their hands during worship. They attend the Bible studies. They do the ABCDs and all that kind of stuff. But in their heart, they've cooled off from God. Because they've got offended at God because something did or did not happen. And so they're offended at God. The Bible says when Jesus, was in, in I believe it's Luke, when he's talking about the end times, the last days, when all the crazy stuff happens, one of the things he says is that the love of many will grow cold. That word love is agape. That's talking about love, the love of God and people, and that's only in the church. So he's talking about Christians or churchgoers, you know, people who have a relationship with God. Their love is going to grow cold. It talks about many people turning away from God, the great falling away. One of the major ways that that happens is people get offended. They get offended. Which one's more effective or which one does more damage? Someone to come and point a gun at you and say, deny Jesus or die? Or for someone to wound you, a Christian to wound you, betray you. So we might be able to face the bullet because then we just die and go to heaven. But to face the wounding or the betrayal or the, the whatever it is, that can be more deadly if we're not careful. And so when you find yourself frustrated, I keep using that word a lot, and I think we can all relate to that. Frustrated, it's like, man, it's not happening. I have an 18-minute drive to work every day. To, we, we live out town from from the church to my house is 18 minutes and so i get 18 minutes just to do whatever you know chill or whatever but a lot of times when i've been in trials and frustrations and everything boy i'm doing a lot of yelling and god what is going on and i thought this and i'm just i'm just crying out top of my lungs and i remember many times it seems to when i get to the certain turn when i'm turning off yost onto perkins road Right there by that, you guys know where that big garbage dump is, that mountain? Beautiful mountain. Smells wonderful. If you drive by it and you have your windows down, the fragrance just, it's overwhelming. Especially on a summer day, I mean, like. <clears throat> so when days I, I know this is a little deviation, but days when I had no air conditioning, I'm driving by, I found out how long I can hold my breath for. It's like. You know, trying to hurt me. <laughs> anyway, but I have, air, I have AC now, so hallelujah, I've been delivered. But anyway, driving by there, there's been many times when, I, when I'm crying out to God and I'm frustrated. And I'm saying, man, this, this thing is just squeezing my soul. Whether it's a financial pressure that's not changing and hasn't changed for a long time. And I don't see any change happening. And it's just squeezing me. And I'm just, ugh, and I'm just crying out to God, God, when is this? And I thought you said, and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And then the grace kicks in. You see, my heart, even though I'm railing, so to speak, my heart is open. I'm like, God, help me. 
And then I remember it's been at the same spot where I said, but you know what, God, regardless of how this turns out, I will not turn my back on you. I will not even allow my affections to cool off. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to aggressively, I'm coming after you, God. I'm going to come and grab a hold of you and not, and I just begin to declare that this thing that is trying to squeeze the life out of me is not going to cause me to turn my back on God or even slow down. When that happens, then what, what, what you're doing is you're exchanging the true God for this idol because you're giving your affections to this thing. You're giving your worship to this thing or the situation versus him. And so you have to declare, God, you, your way, you are the king. I don't understand this. I don't understand it at all. That seems unfair, unjust, but you are awesome and I love you. And I'm screaming, yelling, crying, everything. And guess what happens? Everything changes, but nothing changes. Everything changes, but nothing changes. In other words, the circumstance may still be going on. But my heart, my attitude, my perspective has changed, and I'm good. I'm good. Getting back to that one situation, I can't remember if, it, if this is the context I shared I probably have. I don't know who I tell what anymore. But the situation with when I was in that court battle and all that kind of stuff with Tom's ministry, looking back on, from that now, that was a few years ago, looking back on that, to this date, that was the most challenging, difficult thing I've ever gone through. And I hope that's as bad as it gets. But that was the most challenging. It was one of those things I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I couldn't go back to sleep, you know, the tape is playing and all that kind of stuff. The anger, the resentment, the frustration. You know, the situations where you want to put aside your Christianity for a little while and go fight and hurt people. You know that. You know what I'm saying, guys? You're just so angry. Especially when you're unjustly treated, when you didn't do anything wrong. See, if someone's retaliating against you because you did something stupid, okay, you can kind of understand that. Well, I deserve this. But we didn't do anything except the right thing. And I'm in this situation and it, it doesn't seem to be any end in sight. You know, I got, I got um, what do you call it, investigated by a, an adult protective services person. Investigated. I'm like, dude, me? Come on now. Got investigated. And I was exonerated. They didn't find anything. Because there wasn't nothing there. But the stuff you're going through, because you don't know how that stuff's going to turn out. Because how many innocent people get convicted anyway? Or go through all this trouble? And so I was in this situation, and I remember God asking me, not that he had my permission, but basically it was my invitation to move towards and submit to him. He said, will you stay in this situation and allow me to work in it through you? I, was, I found myself in a hard, a hard place, surrounded by people that I wanted them all to go to hell. I was going to pray for them, go right to hell. And that's how I felt. And I could pray passionately too. And I know some of you feel that way about people. That's the anger, the resentment that I was feeling towards these people. And God said, will you stay in that situation and allow me to work through you? Yes. Yes. Yes, God. And I wasn't a happy camper. I was like, oh, yes, God, anything, you know, it wasn't like that. It was a confession of faith. 
yes, God, I trust you. I trust you, God. In other words, he was saying, take my hand. Will you take my hand? Yeah, but I'm still scared. I don't know how it's going to turn out. So I began to trust him. And then I remember one night walking in the kitchen, and then the Holy Spirit is like, okay, now are you ready to let me work? I said, yes. Went back in the bedroom. It took me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Excuse me. It's around that passage somewhere. Verse 44 talks about, you have heard that it was said, you shall hate your enemies, love your neighbors, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, bless those who despitefully use you. That passage. He took me there. Turn there, son. I don't want to. I don't want to. See, I knew what it said. <laughs> it's kind of dragging me. No! He's just a little bit stronger than I am. A lot of bit. Anyway, took me there. But see, he asked me. He said, are you ready to allow me to work? I said, yes. Turn to that passage like, oh, not that one. Can it be the one that says, vengeance is mine, says CJ? <laughs> Turn there, and he began to show me that passage. Like, duh, I know that's there, Lord. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for them like you would pray for your friends. Like, but Lord, I don't pray for my friends to go to hell. So it was one of those obedient things. Okay, okay. So I began to pray. I began to pray. And of course, as you can imagine, it was, it was um, just lip service. God, bless these people. Let them know Jesus, you know. <laughs> Not much faith was in that. I can promise you that. Oh, I know what he said. He said, every time you think of them, that's what he said. Because see, the enemy was using that as a trigger. When I think of the situation or think of them, it would trigger the emotions, and then I'd be in bondage. The anger, the resentment, the frustration, the stomach churning, you know, all of a sudden you lose your appetite, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. So he said, whenever you think of them, here's what I want you to do, I want you to pray for them. I was praying for them a lot. (laughs) And it started off with, God bless them, God, blah, 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 blah. And then something was happening, something was changing as I was praying. And it got to the point where I was crying out to God. And I said, God, I pray that the love of God would so overwhelm them that they can't take your love. That they come to know Jesus like I know Jesus. Father, they experience the goodness of God, that they experience their true calling in you, that you would draw them to yourselves, that they would repent. I pray for the gift of repentance. They would come to love and know you and walk in the fullness of what you have for them. God, I pray. And I just begin to cry out. And cry. I mean, crying out for these people. And I was serious and I was passionate. And I realized something that God snuck in on me. He changed my heart. See, what happened is I began to love these people. See, whenever God tells you to do something, love your enemies, you're like, are you kidding? That can be the end result if we allow him. That can be the end result if we allow him. That's why he said, are you ready for me to help you? And he showed me what to do. And I began to do it out of faith and trust in him. And my heart turned. And then every time I would think of them, 
God, I just pray your, your blessing on so-and-so. I'd name them and just pray for them. And, and the emotions were gone. The anger was gone. The resentment was gone. It all was gone. In that situation, I realized later that the Lord had me in that situation because he wanted to save, preserve this ministry for the sake of these men. I told you about them, the, the, sex, the, the guys convicted of uh, sex crimes and everything. They didn't have a place to live. Well, because everything turned in our favor, we won the whole thing. They got to stay. And to this day, these guys still live peacefully as much as they can in that place that would have been wiped out. These people, these kids, I say kids, the siblings or offspring wanted to liquidate it. And they didn't care about these guys. God changed my heart. He changed the situation. And I was free. And see, when I look back on that situation, when I was going through that situation, I was so fired up and so excited. It was as though I were born again, again. Because God became so real to me. Because here was a situation that was kicking me all over the place, eating my lunch. It had me. The situation had me. And God said, no, not on my watch. And the thing flipped, and then I had the situation, and I was free. Some of you are in bondage to certain circumstances. And God is saying, will you allow me to help? Will you allow me to work through you? This week, this last week, I got to hear a story from a couple, and I asked for permission to share this, and it, I was almost undone. I mean, I was just like, are you kidding? I was so fired up, so excited. Then I said, can I share this story? Because this is exactly what the Lord is wanting to do. Well, I, I would have got the phone call, but my phone was still turned off because I forgot to turn it on after church. So I didn't get the phone call. And so she did. Like, that's not fair. Lisa got the call. Because I was in the living room and Lisa was, she was also excited. And I'm like, what, 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 what? Anyway, um, uh, a guy did some work on a, on a guy's vehicle. And the guy owed him a lot of money. And so I guess he decided to let him pay it off or something. It made arrangements, payment arrangements. Well, then this guy wasn't following through. Owed the money, wasn't paying it. And so this husband and wife decided, we're going to get our money. You know, I, I love the way they tell the story. Um, the way she tells the story, she's so animated. It's so awesome. But, you know, we're going to go, they're going to be tough people and go to, and they're going to get their money. And... Um, so they go and, you know, knock on the door, and the lady answers, and has a little baby, and, oh, it's all cute. And, you know, it was funny because the lady was determined to be all tough and mean and stuff like that. Yeah, we're going to get our money, honey, and that kind of thing. But she said when the lady answered her with a little baby, oh, you little cute little thing, oh. And she was done. She, she was no good anymore. The tough exterior was gone. So the husband had to fend for himself. So they go in the house, and, and, um. Um, they call for, you know, the guy, I guess he's hiding in his bedroom because he knows they're there. And um, so this brother begins to call. He says, hey, I'm going to just change the name. Hey, John, get out here. We need to talk. You know, get out here. And the guy is hiding in his room. So he sheepishly comes out of his room and, you know, he's caught. Owes a lot of money, not paying it. Here they are in his house. They want their money. And he realizes that. 
And so I, I, if I remember, I'm not going to remember all the details correctly, but anyway, he, they have, he sit down, and he sits down, and he's just, I'm so sorry. And apparently he has, he says, every time I come over to pay you, because I have a, dr- uh, a gambling problem, I go and spend the money. And then this brother said, give me your hands. What? <laughs> you know, uh-oh, here it goes. You know, it's about to be over. He said, give me your hands. So he puts his hands out, and his brother grabs him by the hands and begins to pray for him. Just begins to cry out to God on this brother's behalf and begins to bind up that, that spirit of gambling and just begins to basically love on this guy. And what does this guy do? He breaks. And then the wife, she joins in, they pray, and they're praying for the wife. And so you got this couple just broken and crying. And they left there with no, they didn't get any money. But they loved on these people. And the last I heard, that man is coming to the NFL tonight with this man. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> reason why, it's actually called MMOV, the reason why I said NFL, because people don't want to understand what I'm talking about. MMOV, what is that? Anyway. It's the name of the men's ministry. But here's, the, here's what fired me up and, and just broke me when I heard this story. Because I remember when God asked me, will you allow me? I mean, think about it. People owe us money. You, this, this guy owes him the money. He has every right to get his money. Take him to court. Do, I mean, he can do that. The guy owes him the money. But he chose, he made a choice to love on this man. And now they want to come to church. They're going to come. He's going to come to, to the men's ministry and everything. And I, if I remember right, the next day, the guy came. And I don't know if he paid all the money or made a payment to them, but he made a payment of money that he owed. But here's the cool thing. You know, we talk about revival. We want revival, and revival is going to happen. Now, whether we're a part of it or not is up to us. I believe Caleb said this this morning, revival starts with one person. But basically, revival is when a person, a man or woman of God, does the will of God, walks in it. When you just keep walking, allowing God to work in you, walking in his will. Because it's like heaven breaks out. It breaks, you're giving heaven permission to display itself through you. See, heaven displayed itself in that man's living room because two people were willing to allow God to love and blast through them. It didn't have to happen. Heaven is not going to force itself on us. God's not going to force his will on us and and say, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to show up anyway. But basically, this couple said, heaven, come down. Come down. And what I told this man, I said, man, I'm so proud. You know what? The lives that are changed, that are going to be changed, are, are moving towards being changed because of the choice that you made. The selfless God-honoring choice that you made can change generations. Generations. That's what fired me up. I was so fired up, and that still am. I want to ask the worship team to come up. And if you guys could play that new song, The Heaven Come Down, can you do that one? Okay. That one's more fitting. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with this. Would you go ahead and stand with me?
Remember at the very beginning I said I was changing the name of the sermon to an awesome opportunity. Many of us, if not all of us, are in challenging situations. But you have, you're also at the same time presented with an awesome opportunity to allow God to glorify himself and to make an impact on people's lives. Because let me tell you a secret. Everybody you know or run into goes through hardships and trials. Some people don't have the ability or the opportunity to receive the grace of God as they go through that because they don't know God. They're not submitted to God. They don't know Jesus. They haven't given their lives to Jesus. Only if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, only if you've submitted to him, are you available to receive the grace for him to work in you and do incredible things through you. So if you have not committed your life to Jesus at any point in time, I want to encourage you as we're singing this song, to take the opportunity to say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I repent of going my own way and I'm coming your way. I just give my life to you. If you don't know how to pray, just say, I give my life to you from this day forward. And if you make that decision, I ask you to tell me about that after. When we dismiss, please come and tell me about that. Say, hey, I, I decided to give my life to Jesus today. And the rest of us, As we sing this song and we're inviting the Holy Spirit and saying, heaven, come down, spirit, break out. What you are doing is you're inviting him to do that through you. Now listen, that doesn't mean you're going to do things perfectly. Oh, I got to figure this out. and, And no, remember what we started with earlier. You're opening the door as he's knocking. You're opening the door and say, okay, Holy Spirit, I invite you in. That's what you're doing. And he, and as, as you taken by the hand, he will lead you. And it's going to look different with different people. He may say, what I want you to do is I want you to go talk to somebody. I want you to just share with somebody what you're going through. A trusted man or woman of God that that can share some godly wisdom, not someone who's just going to whine and cry with you and encourage you to gripe and complain more. I'm not talking about... And sometimes your friends are the worst people to go to. Okay, let me just say that. Sometimes your friends are the worst people to go to. Because they'll just whine and cry with you and won't give you any help. But it's okay to, to cry and say, man, I'm frustrated. As long as you're, whether it's with God or with somebody who's going to say, hey, let it all out. Go ahead. It's okay. You need to cry. Go ahead. And cry right here on my shoulder. It's okay. But then that person's going to encourage you up. And so as we sing this song, What we're doing is we're declaring and we're saying, God, come and have your way. Kingdom of heaven, come and have your way. And yes, I will allow you to work in me and through me to glorify yourself. And you're also crying out to him and saying, God, I need help. I need help. I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do. It's okay. He's saying, come on. He's saying, come. Amen.